Welcome to another edition of the Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We are the co-producers of the Raven Narratives, and we're here on the mean streets of Mancus, Colorado tonight. It's a beautiful, cloudy <laughs> evening. We're looking across the street at this gorgeous mural of hot air balloons and cows and Mesa Verde. <laughs> it's quintessential Mancus. It is quintessential Mancus. <laughs> the story you're about to hear was told by Liz Bohm at our recent August events when the theme was exposure. Liz has gladly lived in Mancus for four years now and is starting to get the hang of living in a county with more deer than people. Her root system reaches out to Ontario and Saskatchewan, Canada, the San Francisco Bay Area, Buffalo, New York, and Indianapolis, Indiana, where she was born. Ireland and Finland were home to her earliest known ancestors, and she plans to celebrate these familial cultures by creating something called a leprechauna, which involves both leprechauns and saunas. Here's Liz's story. Hold on, I gotta get this. Get that phone call. (laughs) That must be the leprechaun. That's right. (laughs) Hey, everybody. So, it was a dark, bitterly cold Canadian night. It was late December 1995. And on this dark, cold night, an appendix turned 26 and then burst. (laughs) It was the appendix of my boyfriend at the time, James. He would later become my husband. And I had let myself into his apartment. We lovingly called not the freaking Taj Mahal. I found him curled up in the fetal position on his old green couch. You said you wanted to take me somewhere for my birthday, he said in obvious pain. How about the emergency room? So we got into my 67 Chevy Impala and skidded across the icy streets to the nearest hospital where he was admitted immediately for laparoscopic surgery to have his splattered appendix removed. And everything seemed to go really well, except a couple increasingly unpleasant days later, they found an abscess had formed and he would need to stay in the hospital for at least another week to heal from this very serious infection. So we were in our 20s, he had just turned 26, I was 27, and we were in that sparkly honeymoon phase of our young love, it was delightful. We were full of questions and curiosity and hormones. (laughs) And it was tough to be apart, even for a week. And so I would go every day and visit him, bring him his robe and his fuzzy slippers and his toothbrush and his music magazines, and his sonic youth, and social distortion, and Clash CDs, so he could play them on his Discman (laughs) to try to drown out the very frequent, very loud grunts and groans of a really sad gentleman just on the other side of the curtain of this shared room named Zbigniew. And Zbigniew, there was a big gap in his pain management. I don't know what was going on there, but he was just like, uh, 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 
Just, but like on a constant loop. And this was driving James nuts, under, like just mental. And uh, even with the disc man and the little tiny foam headphones. And, um, and so the good news was as the week went on, that James healed very well, he got better, and on this particular visit, we were both just desperate for some quiet time, and just a couple minutes alone, if we could possibly manage it. We were crazy about each other, and it was just too much. And so we decided to go for a walk along the halls of the hospital. Um, James, in his light blue hospital gown, in the sort of undignified way that they are. And then, but over that, his blue and green plaid flannel robe, and then his blue and green fuzzy wool slippers, and me in my black Doc Martens and my black jeans and my black sweater and my little, um, <laughs> thank you, my little uh, wire rim glasses, because it was the 90s. And, um, and so we clasped hands and walked down the shiny white halls that were full of equal parts Lysol and disinfectant and terrifying invisible germs, like when you're, you just don't want to breathe in, but you have to. And so we clasped hands and walked down the hall, and it felt like between the palms of our hands, we were creating this little oasis, this little oasis of love and connection and health and possibility and youth in the face of all this suffering and sickness and sometimes imminent death that we were surrounded by, especially James had been there for a week. And so we walked hand in hand down the white shiny halls, past the nurse's station, around a couple corners, through some double doors. And you know, we just couldn't go outside. It was like one of those damp, kind of like Great Lakes climates. Um, winter, like where it just gets through any layer, it doesn't matter how many layers, it's just like, oh. So we just walked around and then we came across this clear glass door that led into a room that seemed to be pretty much empty except for laminated tables and some orange stacking plastic chairs. And it was like a Christmas miracle. <laughs> and so it was just after Christmas actually. And so uh, we were thrilled. So we went in and sat down and scooched our orange plastic chairs as close together as we could and did some shoulder snuggling and got caught up and reconnected and it was lovely. And then I'm not sure who noticed it first or whose idea it was, but I just talked to James on the phone the other day and he confirmed that of course it was in fact me um, and it was my idea and I also believe this to be true. But anyway, there was an armoire standing against the wall about six or seven feet away from the table and because I was full of questions and curiosity and hormones, I opened up the door and it was empty for some reason. And then the next thing you know, we are inside the armoire. And it's big enough that two grown people who should have known better could easily fit inside while standing up. And so that's what we did. And uh, it was silly and fun and exciting, but I tell you, not one minute later, we heard a sound and we froze. And the sound was of an orange plastic stacking chair 
being pulled across the laminated floor, we looked through the crack and there was a nurse pulling out her bag and her novel and sitting down for a break. <laughs> and we knew that we were capital B-U-S-T-E-D, busted. <laughs> There was no way we could escape detection. We knew we were gonna have to make a move sooner rather than later because what I was most scared of was scaring the nurse because nobody wants a screaming nurse. And um, so in the count of three, silent count of three, we burst through the armor door, <laughs> past the nurse whose jaw dropped four inches and it was just like the cartoons. It was just like that, it was like, uh. And, um, and she was speechless, which was the best case scenario for us. And we <laughs> hustled as fast as we could. And somehow James, like even in his like undignified garb, like managed to conjure up the perfect combination of surprise and righteous indignation in his very loud voice, booming voice, and he said, that's not the cafeteria. <laughs> As if we had received faulty directions or somehow just stumbled through this armor on our way to fish sticks and green jello cubes. And, and so anyway, back past the nurse's station into the relative comfort of the shared room and the grunts and groans of Zbigniew that at this point seemed oddly reassuring. <laughs> it's a very fond memory of my time, my 11 years with James. And um, over the years, this incident has come to be known as the reverse Narnia. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are into technical jargon, so you can try it if you want. But um, every time I see an armoire, part of me goes, you think that's empty? <laughs> and I just gotta laugh. Thank you. Thanks, Liz, for telling that story. For more from Liz, stick around for the outtake at the end of the podcast. And to hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, where you can also leave comments and share the stories with your friends. And if you want to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives live storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a photo gallery of our storytellers, and find out what the themes will be at upcoming events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. And as always, special thanks goes to our sound engineering wizard, Mike McAllister, for his technical expertise in recording and mixing the Raven Narrative stories told at the Sunflower Theater. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com. Now for the outtake. <laughs> I have to feel there's a part of the story that's been left out. <clears throat> Probably. And, and that is, there was, there was definitely a moment where you were sitting there at the table and you looked at the closet <laughs> thing. And you That's had this true. idea. That's true. How did you actually oh, get? So like, such do you a remember, question. like, how did you get from that table to yeah, the closet? It's a great in a, question. Was yeah. it just like you both 
I think it was like, yeah, I mean, we were in our 20s, we had just started dating, and we're crazy about each other, and we'd been like apart for a couple weeks, so we're basically horny as hell, right. 